I'm Chris Sheets, and I'm your host for the Celebrity Podcast, where we sit down with celebrities from the worlds of music, sports, TV, and movies to hear their stories about the pets they love. He was in Harper's arms the entire afternoon, just hanging out, eating all the, you know, the hors d'oeuvres and stuff like that. How cool is this? Charlie doesn't even realize he's in the Prime Minister's arms. The Celebrity Podcast, available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. The Morning News with Sue D.L. and Andrew Schultz on 770 CHQR. Lots to talk about this morning south of the border. The Senate, first of all, expected to vote today on whether to call witnesses in U.S. President Donald Trump's impeachment trial. Let's start with that as we check in this morning with Jackson Proskow, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Hi, Jackson. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. We'll begin with impeachment and then we've got lots of other things to chat with you about. But uh, how is today looking? Will, Will we see any witnesses, do you think, being called? No, I don't think we're going to see any witnesses. And I think the impeachment trial is on the verge of wrapping up entirely today, actually. I think the way this is going to play out is around the dinner hour here in Washington. They'll take that vote to uh, call witnesses. They won't have the support. After that, they're going to move to debate on acquitting the president and ending the trial. And that could happen late tonight or early tomorrow morning. Let's say it it happens and uh, the president is acquitted. What would be the impact of an acquittal at this point? Well, it would leave him basically in the same boat as Bill Clinton found himself, which is impeached by the House, acquitted by the Senate. Uh, This is not exactly a surprising result, but uh, it also wraps things up neatly for Trump uh, right before he delivers his State of of the Union address next week and right before, uh, of course, the Iowa caucuses and the 2020 campaign kickoff. So I think kind of looking at it big picture, I don't think there are a lot of minds to be changed at this point on either side. I think people know where they stand. So really, it's kind of a procedural question. At this point, speaking of Clinton, I noticed that uh, Monica Lewinsky was up and tweeting early this morning talking about how she had to go and testify. Isn't that is it not unfair, though, that there aren't any witnesses being called to the people of the United States? I think you could certainly make that argument, especially given the allegations that John Bolton has started making here in the next few days. And look, this is where it gets kind of weird because Bolton's uh, about to publish a book. It's coming out the first week of March. So what Bolton has to say is going to be out there on the public record, Mm -hmm. whether he's called to testify or not. And yet senators are saying, no, 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 we don't want to hear from him. Uh, You know, read it yourself in the book later and, and decide what you think about that. I guess further down the line, looking to November, would would it change the outlook in November for Republicans and maybe their strategy even? Yeah, I think I, I'm kind of of two minds with that. One is that we all have really short attention spans these days, and it's hard to uh, remember what happened at the beginning of this month, let alone when we're in November looking back at what happened at an impeachment trial in January. But on the other hand, I think uh, the, the general appetite among the American public, even if you support Trump, is to hear from witnesses, to get the full story. Polls show 75 80% support for hearing from witnesses. And so I think Republican senators who are denying the American people that opportunity may be called on the carpet about that come election day in November and they may have to sort of atone for that in the eyes of the public. All right, let's switch gears a little bit and uh, move to something that's really top of mind here in Canada. I don't know how important or what kind of level of importance it's getting in the U.S., but the coronavirus is certainly big in the news. 
It is. And in fact, late last night, the U.S. State Department issued a do not travel advisory for all U.S. citizens going to China. They're saying do not go. Uh, they are telling U.S. citizens already in China to leave immediately. Uh, one of the things they're citing is the fact that commercial flights are becoming uh, more and more scarce and the U.S. may not have the resources to do a large scale mass evacuation if things get worse. And they also dropped the hint that travel restrictions could pop up at any moment. And we heard from the White House earlier this week that they are contemplating a ban on all flights from China. Uh, so they're sort of hinting that that's something that could still unfold here. What about, uh, you know, here in our office, we get the inner office memos to, to increase hand washing, using hand sanitizer, stay home if you're sick. I know my kids, their school got a similar email about, you know, being hygienic and, and uh, doing your best to try to keep the virus at bay. Are you seeing anything on the ground in Washington? Are uh, people uh, talking about it or any actions taking place? You know, generally speaking, I think it's the same sort of uh, situation everywhere outside of China, where people have a bit of concern. Uh, I can tell you that if you're trying to buy face masks, for example, they are basically sold out uh, online with Amazon and Walmart. Uh, medical retailers are all sold out. There's a huge backlog uh, in supplies for those. And, uh, you know, hardware stores and drug stores are sold out as well. But you don't see people walking around wearing them. So it's all sort of precautionary at this point. Again, switching gears. Uh, let's move on to the next, which is the, the Middle East piece plan Donald Trump coming out with that this week is there um, is there support for him getting involved in this and and this will this make a difference you know come election time for him as well you know, as the one expert I spoke to this week uh, said quite wisely, this is the problem that every single president tries to solve at some point mm -hmm. during their administration. They all try. They all seem to fail. Uh, what Donald Trump has done uh, is take a completely different approach to this. Many have argued that what he and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, have put forward is on the surface uh, very much favorable to Israel more than it is the Palestinians. Some have argued, hey, maybe this will work because it could strong arm the Palestinians into taking a deal, that there are some concessions from the Israelis that we haven't seen before. Others have argued that how on earth are you supposed to negotiate a deal between two sides when one of those two sides, the Palestinians, were not invited to the table? So I think it's very much a, a question of does this get the ball rolling or is this dead on arrival? Uh, I think Trump's backers will give him credit for at least coming forward with a plan that, uh, again, includes an actual map of what this uh, territorial division could look like and, again, got the Israelis to give some sessions in terms of no longer developing areas of the West Bank and essentially holding those areas for a future Palestinian state. Uh, but it's worth pointing out the proposal uh, in offering a Palestinian state is a state with very limited autonomy. So they would not be able to have their own military, for example. They would not have their own airports. It's really still quite restrictive. But in the end, as you mentioned, just a prerequisite of, of, every, of every president uh, that's come for the past 50 years. Exactly. Uh, Obama tried it. Clinton tried it. Carter tried it. There's a long list. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what, Jackson? Thank you very much for joining us. Happy Friday. It's been uh, it's kind of nice. There's been more than just impeachment to talk about. Lots of things going on around the world. So we always appreciate your take on on life in the U.S. And next week we'll be on the road for the Iowa caucuses. So oh. uh, get ready for a long 2020 campaign. Excellent. Thanks so much, Jackson. Have a great weekend. Starts next Thank week, you. Sue. Jackson. I can't believe it. Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News, of course. 8-11 on the morning news. The coronavirus is top of mind these days, but should it be? Can we fight off the virus with simple hand washing? To find out, we check in with the germ guy and find out what we can and what we should be doing. We're joined by Jason Tetro. You can see his work on SAS, the super awesome science <laughs> show. Good morning, Jason. 
Good morning. Big question is, are we making much ado about nothing here? Um, do you think that we're more panicked uh, than uh, we should be over something like the coronavirus? Uh, yeah, uh, very much so. Uh, the problem is that, um, as uh, Dr. Tedros, the uh, head of the World Health Organization, said, um, this is a a public health emergency in China. Uh, it's not really a public health emergency anywhere else. Unfortunately, there's no sort of yellow light. It's either green or red, and he kind of had to call it a red. And so as a result of that, um, everybody is sort of uh, amped up in their concern about this virus, albeit there there's, doesn't seem to be very much proof of it outside of China. Now, do, do you think, Jason, is it, you know, is it because we just don't really understand that the, you know, declaring it a, a global emergency, it doesn't necessarily affect us here. It's to keep the rest of the world safe. Is that part of the problem? Uh, yeah. Uh, you see, the thing is, is here in Canada, we're kind of really lucky. We've got this great health care system. Um, you know, if you happen to be feeling sick, you can just walk into a clinic or a, a hospital and, and they're going to take care of you. Uh, and if they suspect that something like this is happening, they're going to, you know, give you a nice room. You're going to be comfortable in quarantine. A lot of countries don't have that option. And so what's happening is that this announcement is a bureaucratic announcement to essentially say that all the experts all over the world are now open to be able to help those countries that simply don't have those resources. Do you think the problem in the first world nations that are, uh, well, such as Canada, where people are still uh, wearing, you know, sometimes masks, who said you saw somebody wearing a mask at the supermarket yesterday, yep. do you think uh, part of it is social media and the proliferation of social media in the past 10, 15 years? Oh, yeah. I mean, social media, misinformation, disinformation, and sometimes, you know, um, when when reports are made, uh, sometimes there's a bit of a tone to it. And if the tone seems to be panicky, then people are going to fall into that. I mean, it's normal. It happens all the time whenever we see these new viruses. And as for the mask, by the way, um, unless you know someone who was recently in Wuhan over the last two weeks to months, um, and they possibly may sound like they're having a little bit of an infection, particularly in the respiratory tract. Why do you have to wear a mask? It's a great question. How about hand sanitizer? Is that just kind of a stupid thing too? I mean, yes, in just in terms of, you know, washing your hands in general, but in terms of this coronavirus, is the hand sanitizer going to help us? You hurt me. You know I'm a hand sanitizer guy. Come on. <laughs> oh. No, um, the hand sanitizer is fantastic because... Obviously, hand washing is the best way to keep your hands safe. And, you know, we touch our faces like 16 times an hour. Ew. So if we pick up something, whether it be a Wuhan coronavirus or a regular common cold coronavirus or a flu or whatever, there's a good likelihood we're going to put it up our nose or in our mouths and, and you know, potentially could make us sick. So hand washing, fantastic. Most of the places we go to, though, no sinks. Kind of sucks. So that's why the alcohol hand sanitizer, 62 to 70 percent, but you have to leave it on your hands for at least 15 to 20 seconds for it to be truly effective. Do you think we could spin this into a positive, uh, Jason, and uh, use it as a, a great opportunity not only to tell our kids, but maybe even our coworkers to get their flu shots uh, like we should be doing seasonally every time when it's offered to us here in Canada? Absolutely. I mean, flu shots are the best way to prevent the flu. And just so you have a good perspective, um, at the first week of January, and this was the United States, who's, you know, become very, very crazy about this idea of, you know, over 200 deaths. They had 263 deaths from influenza, but nobody talks about that. So mm -hmm. just remember that influenza is actually here. It's going around. It is hurting people. And if you're not vaccinated, it could potentially put you at a major health risk. Um, 
That, I think, is much more important for us to be talking about here in Canada than the Wuhan coronavirus, because honestly, it doesn't look like it's going to cause anything major here. Mm -hmm. Okay, we just got a text in from a listener, Jason, someone saying, what about traveling in airports through the U.S., for example? Will the masks help then? If we're not just standing super close to somebody who's maybe spitting on us, do we need these masks if we're in big open areas where we may encounter people who are traveling to and from China? Again, the most likely way that you're going to have any kind of contact with a virus is if you're, say, going up to the, um, uh, going up to one of those kiosks where you, you know, print your boarding passes or anything like that, because probably someone may have spurted on there and you might be picking it up inadvertently. That's why the hand sanitizer works. But quite honestly, if you're walking through an airport and stuff like that and you have a mask on your face, it, it kind of looks strange and people are going to stare at you and stuff like that did you know by any chance that a scarf when you put it over your nose and your mouth is going to give you the same kind of protection um that a mask is Mm. about 60 percent against the majority of viruses well thank you very much for your time this morning jason it was a pleasure Jason Tretto, uh, Tetro, the germ guy and of course you can search online for SAS that's the super awesome science show The United Way gathered together Alberta Health Services, Calgary Counseling Centre, Children's Services, the Distress Centre, the Alex, and more wonderful groups here in our city to find some answers around mental health. The end result is the Natural Supports Simulation. It's a free online digital tool that helps adults build skills to support children and youth with their mental wellness. Joining us this morning is Beth Geniak, the Chief Operating Officer at the United Way of Calgary and Area. Hi, Beth. Hi there, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Tell us about this free online tutorial that you've all helped create. Well, we think this is really important. You know, 70% of mental health problems take root in adolescence. But yet only 20% of kids actually access help. So how might we as adults be able to help kids uh, in a better way? Uh, All of us have relationships with kids, if you're parents, teachers, coaches, uh, aunts, uncles, um, and yet sometimes having difficult conversations with kids is really hard for adults. Mm-hmm. And how can we really help kids unpack what it is that they're experiencing in a non-judgmental way? So this tool is really designed to help us as adults take ourselves through three very different journeys uh, based on case studies and based and written by mental health experts to help us as adults understand how we can ask questions of kids in a different way and provide them with different supports. Beth, you've got about five different organizations under the umbrella coming together here. How, how did that work? Because I can understand that it's tough enough, a, a big organization like yours, and you have to, uh, you know, uh, get the team together, as it may be. How did that work? <laughs> well, you know what? I can't say enough about these professionals who work in the sector. They do tough work all day, every day, and uh, we all owe them a really great debt of gratitude. We started a, an innovation lab uh, about two years ago at United Way, specifically designed to bring people together in a different way to have different kinds of conversations and to work together to solve problems. And this was really our first big experiment, and we really consider this to be a living innovation. So this is a simulation right now that has three different uh, you know, case studies, scenarios that adults can take themselves through. At the end of the simulation tool, you get access to a whole toolkit for mental health supports. But our intention is to continue to work with all these great people and more folks to continue to build and develop this simulation as we go along over the coming year. So important. Collaboration is key, obviously. I mean, you've got all these great groups doing great work individually. Why not come together? It just makes so much sense, and yet it's never really been done before. 
Well, it's uh, you know, we like to say that innovation is a core muscle at United Way, and uh, we're really developing a good practice here. And I, and again, like our community of agencies and government uh, folks just really leaned into this whole entire process and said, yes, let's embrace innovation as a way to actually tackle some of these difficult issues that kids are facing in our community. And, uh, and we couldn't be happier with the results. So who is the demographic that you hope uh, to use the tool? Well, really, anybody who uh, who is a natural support um, to a kid. And uh, natural supports are really relationships and associations that we as adults have with children and youth in the course of our everyday lives. So these are parents, uh, friends, uh, neighbors, coaches, teammates, teachers, anybody who actually comprises a social network uh, that a kid could actually be participating in. So really the tool is to say, hey, Each of us have different sorts of relationships and interactions with children and youth in our lives. Each of us have an opportunity to actually help a kid participate in their mental wellness by teaching ourselves new mental wellness skills. So really, this tool is designed for uh, anyone who considers themselves to be a natural support of a child or a youth in their network. Can you kind of paint us a picture, Beth, when you go online, what do you find and, and how do you run through it? Sure. So there are three different uh, personas, so three different uh, youth, three different stories. Uh, you're asked as a uh, as a parent, as a adult to choose who do you want to be yourself in this simulation. Do you want to be a parent? Do you want to be a teacher? Do you want to be a coach? And then you're asked to choose what type of a uh, mental health concern would you like to experience or learn more about, either anxiety, depression, or self harm. Because all of the research that we did told us that those are the top three concerns that children and youth have. You're then taken through a series of um, case studies where you're presented with a story. And the story starts and stops. And at each time that it stops, you're asked a series of questions to basically help you understand what you may have just learned or may have just experienced in the simulation. At the end of the entire story, you're given some tips and some tricks uh, based on how you were responding to some of the questions that you're asked in the simulation to actually help you direct your learning, your future learning path in terms of what you might need to know or learn more about in order to be a natural support. At the end of the simulation, people are also offered all sorts of different links to different community resources, many by the partners that we've worked with. And most importantly, I want everyone to know and remember that if you know an adult, a child, or a youth who's experiencing really serious distress, please call 211, and the folks at our distress center will be happy to direct people to urgent care and urgent support. What I like about this, uh, Beth, is the fact that it's you know, a stepping stone and could direct somebody, but being online, it's less threatening, it's, it's not scary. Was that part of the aim? Oh, absolutely. This allows people to have, uh, have a non-judgmental experience. Uh, it allows them to stop and start and learn at their own pace. And it's absolutely intended to reduce stigma and to say this is not a threatening, uh, this isn't, can't, doesn't have to be a threatening experience for people to actually uh, engage and learn how to be a really good coach in, in terms of uh, mental wellness. So it was absolutely part of the design that it was online and allows people to learn at their own pace. Wow, I feel like this is probably going to be a great learning tool and a benefit to the adults as well as the young people that they'll eventually be dealing with. We sure hope so. Yeah. That's the intention, yep. Okay, so why is it so important to you, Beth, do you think, to to really get to the root cause of mental health with these young kids now? Well, here's what, here's what the research tells us. You know, it says 
if 20% of the kids are, are accessing help, and yet we know 70% of, of problems actually emerge during adolescence, what might be different if uh, parents and other people in a kid's life could actually help, identi- help a child identify that they're suffering from anxiety or suffering from depression and or experiencing self-harm? What might be different in the lives of those kids as they grow into adulthood? Because what happens if you're undiagnosed or you're, or you're not um, provided access to appropriate treatments is we all know that those problems just get worse and they can spiral out of control for people. And that can lead to all sorts of bad things happening, right? Yes. And, and how might we be better equipped as a community to help support kids and, uh, and prevent that kind of thing from happening in the first place? Beth, how do we find the online digital tool? Well, listen, it's really easy. It's naturalsupportsyyc.com. And... Um, I'd encourage folks to get on there and test it. This is really important because Calgarians can actually contribute to building a better tool. And I think that's a really important message I want to leave everyone with today. As much as the tool is going to be contributing today to people's learning, it also is going to, your contribution and participation in the tool itself is actually going to make the tool better. And, uh, and we at United Way really believe that it takes a whole community to work together and come together to support our kids. So we really encourage folks to jump on that platform, naturalsupportsyyc.com, and, and help us make an even better tool going forward. It's a living innovation, and we look forward to everyone's input. So good. Thanks so much, Beth. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. Beth Geniak is the Chief Operating Officer at the United Way of Calgary and Area. Continuing our series here on the morning news as we pair with our friends at Global TV. They're doing Alberta Matters, a series this time out focusing on the booze boom in our province. Looking at a different angle, though, is women in a somewhat male-dominated industry. We're joined by Global News reporter Jill Croteau. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, guys. So this industry has grown. Have the number of women in the industry grown as well? Yeah, I mean, this was really fascinating. It's like I didn't realize that... You know, maybe I was a part of the societal societal expectation. You don't assume that women would be brewmasters. But once I started looking into it, yes, they are a small minority, but the number of them is certainly growing. We took a trip up to Olds where they have a brewmasters course, and they're sort of, uh, you know, the epicenter for where people learn things about all things beer. And sure, their numbers have quadrupled. You know, a couple of years ago, they only had one woman enrolled, but in this semester, they had five. So the interest is certainly expanding, which is nice to see. I am fully on board with all things beer. <laughs> Tell us, Jill, about Barley's Angels. Great name. Right. I mean, right then and there, they had me at, mm-hmm. you know, at Barley, right? Um, so th- this organization, it, it, is built on the acronym BABES. So it's Barley's Angels Beer Education Society. And it was created to not only talk about craft beer and sort of develop and acquire tastes and, and certain pairings, but the woman who started it, she said, I went on all these brewery tours and women would go, but they would be nudging their husband or their male counterpart or whoever the male figure that they were with, and they would whisper their question to him because they wouldn't feel comfortable asking their question in front of all these people. Um, and so she was like, I just wanted to create a safe space that women didn't need to feel intimidated, that this was you know, a place that we could all appreciate beer and say, hey, women can drink beer too. We're not just you know, white wine drinkers. In the old college program, let's get back to that for a second, the brew instructor uh, in the program, is is this really for professionals or could somebody recreationally say, I want to learn how to brew beer mm-hmm. in, in my backyard? 
Yeah, I mean, you could commit to the two-year program. Wow, it's two years. Um, And it talks about, like, it's not just about brewing beer. Um, You know, it's all aspects of the industry, you know, from the back end to the front end. Like, if you just want to learn about how to maybe open up your own brewery and and develop the the back end of the business and, and sort of staffing issues and the business side of it. So it's not just about brewing beer. I mean, sure, this is for home brewers, but you know, that might really want to refine their craft, you could do that. But um, a lot of these people, it's a stepping stone to to really diving into the industry. That's Global's Jill Croteau focusing in this week, Alberta Matters. It's all about the booze industry in Alberta. It is Friday. Let's check in with our pal Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes. Find out if there's anything good happening at the movie theater. Hi, Brett. Hello there. How are you? Hey, excellent. Thanks for joining us. I know you've got three that you told us about, and one I've actually seen the trailer for, and I thought it looked kind of good. How's the rhythm section getting uh, in terms of reviews? This is a movie that is not getting good reviews, unfortunately. Yeah, Blake Lively is out for revenge in this movie. I lost my family three years ago. It wasn't an accident. There was a bomb on that plane. I need your help to find the ones who did this. I've got nothing to lose. So her family died in a plane crash. Lively is out to get those responsible. Jude Law plays a guy who helps her navigate the underworld. Mm-hmm. Sterling K. Brown also stars. Good cast, but not good reviews. 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ugh, bummer. Oh, man. It sounds like a great, well, a great week to watch the Super Bowl, maybe. Um <laughs> Gretel and Hansel. It's a, obviously a take on Hansel and Gretel. We flipped the title. What does that mean? Yeah, well, I'm not entirely sure what this means, but I know when I watched the trailer, I thought, that looks insane. Uh, <laughs> and this is, a, this is a movie that's only opening in some markets, so it's opening in Calgary and Vancouver. It's not opening in Winnipeg and Edmonton yet, so uh, for those listening out of market, just keep an eye on it. But here's a clip for Gretel and Hansel. How you came to be in my woods. You're scared. There's something wrong here. The official description reads as follows. A long time ago in a distant fairy tale countryside, a young girl leads her little brother into a dark wood in desperate search of food and work, only to stumble upon a nexus of terrifying evil. <laughs> Yeah, 60% for this one on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm just going to give everybody a quick heads up. I Googled it, and I spelled Gretel and Hansel wrong, and you may get stuff that's not safe for work. So just be aware, okay? Very special movie that's not at the Cineplex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, too funny. Okay, uh, what's our third choice for this weekend, Brett? The third one is a Canadian horror movie. It's a remake of a David Cronenberg film from the 70s called Rabid, about a young woman who gets in a car crash and her face is badly damaged, but then she gets experimental Stelsem treatment and things get weird. Wow. That's incredible. It's like the accident never even happened. No, it's not like it never happened. I've been having vivid nightmares. Why am I dreaming about drinking blood? She's not just dreaming of drinking blood. She she develops a taste for blood, and uh, this one looks like it's not <laughs> worth your time. I think the 54% on Rotten Tomatoes for this one, so uh, 56%, pardon me. So not terrible reviews, but not the best reviews. Well, this is the kind of weekend, and I know that Hollywood is quite calculated. No huge star names, no huge titles. Do you think that the filmmakers in the studio said, we got to kind of steer clear of Super Bowl weekend? 
Yeah, that's got to be it because people are not going to be because Sunday is going would be a wash, right? Like people are mm-hmm. not going to go to the movies on mass. I know there's obviously is a, a market I think of people who don't care about the football game, but they're not going to release something big on Super Bowl weekend because Sunday will effectively be a loss for them. So that's why you're getting these movies like the rhythm section that you know probably will make a few dollars, but isn't uh, clearly isn't a big deal. I think the biggest deal of the weekend is on Netflix. It's that Adam Sandler movie, Uncut Gems. I made a crazy risk to gamble. About to pay off. Sandler has received all kinds of critical praise for his performance in this movie. He plays a New York City jeweler who makes a series of big bets that could lead to a huge windfall, but he has to walk quite the tightrope in balancing business, family, and his enemies. This one got great reviews in the 90s on Rotten Tomatoes. He won all kinds of awards from various critics associations. So uh, I think this is the one that I'm most interested this weekend. I thought you were going to say the halftime show with J-Lo and Shakira, but okay, fine. <laughs> Adam Sandler will do too. <laughs> that sounds good. Though. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, it really does. Thanks, Brett. You have a great weekend. All right, you too, guys. That's Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes.